Today we're going to continue our series from the Old Testament, but I am going to jump ahead a few books to the book of Hosea. Now that is an intriguing book if you have not read it. Hosea married Gomer. She was unfaithful to him, and the Lord instructed him to take her back. Now, of course, that is a parable for Israel, because Israel was betrothed to God. They were to be his bride. They constantly went into idolatry. The Bible refers to that as spiritual adultery. And the Lord, in his grace, constantly reached out to them to redeem them. It also, however, is a story about love and marriage. And because Valentine's Day is tomorrow, I'm going to focus primarily in that direction. Now, you know and I know that love and marriage and all that turns out to be a disappointment for a lot of people. We all want to be in love. And I think a lot of people are in love with the idea of being in love. But for many, it turns out to be a disappointment. There was a girl who met this young guy, and they began dating, and after a while they fell in love, and then they were engaged. And she thought that she had the perfect fiancé, the one she was going to marry. He, she watched his father. His father was very attentive to, to his mother, and, and he did things for her, and he spoke nicely to her and all that. And she watched, and one day she said, I sure hope that runs in your family. And he said, it does. But I take after my mother. Well, sometimes things don't turn out exactly the way we think they are going to. Maybe it's like the President Bush said, I, I have my daddy's eyes and my mama's mouth. Well, sometimes things don't turn out the way we think they're going to. We think that we're going to fall in love and we're going to get married and it's going to be wonderful from that point. And there's a little disappointment along the way. Well, why is that? Yeah, we all know the statistic that half the marriages end in divorce. You know that. In remarriage, the statistic is even worse. They have less chance. Why? Why is it all of us want to find someone, fall in love with someone, maybe marry someone, and it doesn't turn out? Why is it that it turns out so badly oftentimes? Well, I think one of the reasons for it is because after a while, that old feeling falters. You know, that passion that used to be there is not there as much as it was in the beginning. And that begins to bother us a little bit. There was a woman had a had a dream. She was talking to her husband. She said, I had a dream last night. She said, I dream that you got me a beautiful pearl necklace for Valentine's Day. Now, what do you think that means. He said, well, I don't know, but you'll know tonight. Well, he came home that evening. He had a little package that was all wrapped up, and, and she was so excited about it. She took the package, and she unwrapped it. Inside, there was a book that was titled The Meaning of Dreams. So <laughs> sometimes the, the, the passion, the enthusiasm, all of those fuzzy feelings that we have in the beginning, they begin to wane a little bit, and, and, uh, and uh, so we're just, we're just disappointed in it. But, you know, the truth of the matter is love is not about a passion. Love is about a promise. 
Jerry Shirley wrote, it's not your love. Now, this is very, I think this is good. It's not your love that sustains your commitment. It's your commitment that sustains your love. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Hosea chapter 3. We'll look at verses 1 through 5. Hosea 3, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So I bought her for myself for fifteen shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. Then I said to her, You shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man, so I will also be toward you. For the sons of Israel will remain for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod or household idols. Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. I believe that love is defined by action more than feeling. Now, I'm not saying there are not feelings involved with love, but I am saying that I believe that love is primarily defined by actions. If that is so, then our actions are held accountable. The actions of love must be held accountable if love is what we do, and that's what we see in the story. If you look over in chapter 2, verse number 2, there Hosea says, Contend with your mother. Contend, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. And let her put away her harlotry from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. Now, here he is rebuking her. He is confronting her about her sin. Some of you will remember some years ago there was a movie that was titled Love Story. And the famous line that came out of that movie was, Love means never having to say you're, you're sorry. That's nonsense. <laughs> you see, if love is an action, then your actions are always held accountable. And in the NIV, that is translated rebuke. He is saying rebuke your mother for what she has done. She is to be rebuked for her sin, and he said, and she is not my wife. In other words, Hosea is saying, she is not being a wife to me. She was involved in adultery. She was involved in sin. And he says, she is not being a wife to me. So he gave her an ultimatum. Look at chapter 2, verse number 3. Lest I strip her naked and expose her as on the day when she was born... I will also make her like a wilderness, make her like desert land, and slay her with thirst. A couple of things I want you to notice here. First of all, he did not ignore her behavior. He did not pretend this was not happening. I have known a number of people through the years, they so desperately want to hang on to someone, they pretend they are not doing what they are doing. I have known people who, who, whose spouse was involved in drugs or involved in alcohol abuse or something of that nature, and they pretend that they are not. Why? Because they want to hold on to them. 
I have known spouses whose, whose mate was involved with another person, and they pretended that it was not so. Why? Because they wanted to hold on to them. He did not ignore what she was doing. The second thing is that he did not try to manipulate her with guilt. And sometimes we try to manipulate the other person to do what we want them to do through guilt. Honey, don't you realize how you've broken my heart by this? Don't you know how much I hurt as a result of this? Don't you understand what you're doing to the children by doing this? And so sometimes there is the attempt to get someone back or to hold on to someone by manipulating them through guilt. Hosea did not do that. Thirdly, he did not make empty threats. She knew this ultimatum was real. That what he was saying was real. You see, he was not giving up on her, but he was willing to give her up. If she continued in what, in the sin in which she was involved, he was not giving up, but he was willing to give her up if necessary. He was also patient. We talk about the patience of Job, but I don't know of anyone who has demonstrated more patience than Hosea in this situation. You see, as I look at the story, he didn't go after her until she had reached bottom. He didn't reach out to her until she had come to the end. I mean, she is devastated. She has reached the bottom before he reaches out to her. That's exactly what you see in the story of the prodigal son. Concerning the story of the prodigal son, here is a young man who wanted to live his own life, do things his way. So he came to the father and said, Father, give me the inheritance that is mine. And the Bible says that he took his inheritance and he went out and wasted his inheritance. What did the father do? The father simply waited on him. The father didn't pursue him. The father didn't go after him. The boy ended up in the pig pen before he decided that he should come home, that he had been out of his mind to leave the father. There in the pig pen, he realized what he had done. He came to the father, and when he came to the father, he found that the father had been waiting for him. I say this to say that our actions bring accountability with them. We are accountable for our actions, and we cannot pretend that actions don't happen. Then we see the terms for restoration. Now, when I look at the story, Gomer was broken inwardly, but she was doing the same thing outwardly. She came to the point where she was broken inwardly, but you'll notice in verse number one, he says, yet an adulteress. So she was broken in her heart, but she continued doing what she had done. Restoration was not easy for her, nor is it ever easy. I, I think the, the thrill of her sin was gone at this point. She had come to the bottom, and the thrill of the sin was gone. And you know, when we become engaged in a sin, there's an excitement with it, isn't there? I see people, and uh, they, they are having an affair or something, and at that time, I mean, there is a, there's an excitement with it, there is a thrill with it. But then after a while, the excitement is gone. And it has been replaced by fear and guilt and, and all of those things. The excitement is no longer there. I have, I have talked, I've read articles about people who are involved with drugs, and they said, I began taking drugs because of the high. 
But then after a while, they no longer take the drug because of the high. They say, there is no high. I am taking them now just to feel normal. But after a while, the thrill is gone, and I think that's what had happened with her. Well, if she wasn't enjoying what she was doing, why didn't she return? Why didn't she come back to her husband? Well, two possibilities. One is that she couldn't. She was so captivated by sin. She was so held captive by her sin that she could not. And folks, there are some, perhaps some of you who are in that exact situation today. You say, return to God. You say, do all of these things. And yet you are so held in the grips of sin right now that you could not. That's a possibility with her. Another possibility is that she didn't know she could. I mean, why would Hosea take her back? I mean, really. I mean, she's been, she's been committing adultery. She's been out there living the life of a harlot. Why would her husband take her back? And then in verse number 1 of chapter 3, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband. Yet an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the son of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. He was willing to take her back. Isn't that amazing? He was willing to take her back, but it was not based on her character. It was based on his commitment. He took her back because God enabled him to take her back. And folks, I have seen that in my ministry. I have seen exactly a similar situation, and I have seen those marriages restored by the grace of God and by the power of God. But I guarantee you it comes by the grace of God. He was willing to take her back because of his commitment. So love, then, is what you do. And if love is what you do, then you're held accountable for what you do. The next thing I see is that love requires sacrifice. Genuine love is always characterized by sacrifice. We see the depth of it in verse number 2. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. This is an interesting and insightful verse. He said that I bought her for 15 shekels of silver. Now, that was the cash that he had. So when he looks around to find how much money do I have, he had 15 shekels of silver. And then a homer and a half of barley. So now then he gets all the money that he has, the cash that he has, and then he turns to the grain that he had. Now, a homer and half of barley equal 15 ephahs. And ephah sold for one shekel of silver. So with the 15 shekels of silver that he had, and the homer and half of barley that he had, that is 15 and 15, that's how many? That's 30. Why is that important? Because 30 shekels of silver is the price of a slave. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 21, verse 32, If the ox gores a male or female slave, the owner shall give his or her master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. What is the significance? He bought her out of sinful slavery. She was enslaved to sin. So when he gave 30 shekels of silver for her, 15 shekels of silver, a homer and a half of barley equals 30 shekels. That was the price of a slave. So he bought her then out of sinful slavery. Can you imagine being her? She has lived an unfaithful life. 
Her husband now takes the cash that he has, the grain that he has, and he buys her back. What would that say to her? If you were her, how would you respond to that? Well, it would say to her that he thinks I'm of value. He thinks I am of worth. For him to do that, he must think I am valuable. I read a statement by, or an article, Mary Ann Evans, the British novelist, whose pen name was George Eliot. She was called to go to her invalid father and help him during that time of his life. She wrote concerning that experience. She has gone to take care of her father. She wrote these words. Oh, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person, having neither to weigh thoughts nor measure words, but to pour them all out just as they are, chaff and grain together, knowing that a faithful hand will take and sift them Keep what is worth keeping, and then, with the breath of kindness, blow the rest away. Isn't that a beautiful statement? Because, you see, I know that some of you are taking care of your aging parents. And sometimes it's just more than you can handle. I mean, it requires a lot from you. But do you know what that parent thinks because of your sacrifice? He thinks I'm worth something. She thinks I'm worth something because of the sacrifice that you are making to take care of your parents. The sacrifice speaks of his love. She, she feels that she is worth something, and, and it speaks of his love because he gave everything for her. He took the cash that he had. He took the grain that he had. He took it all that he might be able to buy her back. It speaks of his love. Did you know, ladies and gentlemen, that is exactly what God has done for you? The Bible says in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? You see, as I read this story, I cannot help but think about God's sacrifice for me. God's sacrifice for you. He gave His only Son, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you so much, and the, and the proof of His love is the cross. You see, because God made a sacrifice giving His Son for you, then He extends grace to you. He extends His grace to you. He buys you. Unfortunately, so many of us are like um, Gomer in that we look to the world to find uh, fulfillment. And folks, some of you are doing that. I, I'm, I, I wish I knew what to say to, to tell you that you're looking in the wrong places for fulfillment. Some of you are looking for fulfillment in your career. You think, if I just, if I just get this position, if I, if I just get this account, if I just get this much money, if I get this recognition, then I'm going to be fulfilled. And it isn't going to fulfill you. There are some of you who think that if I can just establish this relationship, if, 
if these people approve me, then I'm going to be fulfilled. Or, or if this person likes me, then I'm going to be fulfilled. And you think that fulfillment comes in relationships, and it does not. There are some of you who believe that fulfillment comes in pleasure, and so you are seeking fulfillment in the world and pleasure, and it will never fulfill you. This morning I was reading in the um, Courier, there was an article in there about Dr. Jerry Root, who is a college professor at Wheaton, and he teaches a course on C.S. Lewis. He was speaking at the uh, First Baptist Church in Charleston, and I thought this was very insightful. He says, we were not made to, feel, to find ultimate satisfaction in this world. We are made for a relationship with God that no human relationship can satisfy. The world was made to awaken, not satisfy, the longings of our heart. Folks, there are some of you who are looking in all of these arenas to find satisfaction and fulfillment, but you will only find satisfaction, you will only find true fulfillment whenever you truly know the Lord. Love requires sacrifice. Jesus loves you and He sacrificed His life for you. Hosea sacrificed everything he had for Gomer. Love provides security. You'll notice in verse number 3, Then I said to her, You shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man, so I will also be toward you. As I look at the way this restoration took place, there first of all was repentance. He said, you will not play the harlot. There always has to be repentance. You don't change things by continuing in the way things are. There has to be repentance. He said, you shall not play the harlot. Then you will be restored. He said, you will stay with me. He would receive her back. And he expected faithfulness from this point. He said, nor shall you have a man, and he promised faithfulness. He said, so I will also be toward you. Now, do you see this man who loves this woman who is restoring her? First of all, there had to be repentance. You will not play the harlot. You will stay with me, and you will be faithful to me, and I will be faithful to you. It is then that there can be restoration. This is a good picture of us because we also have sinned, gone away from the Lord, like the people of Israel. We have sinned against God, become involved in other things. But Jesus paid a price that we might be accepted in Him. The Bible says, whoever believes may in Him have eternal life. Jesus died on the cross that we might be forgiven of our sin, that we might be made new in Him. Which is what Paul said when he wrote, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come, and then we are restored in Him. Doesn't this story sound to you like exactly what happens with us? That we are away from God, we are in sin, we're involved in spiritual idolatry and adultery. And Jesus Christ gave everything for us. He died on the cross that we might 
have our sins paid for, that He might extend to us His grace, that we can be restored and made right with Him. That's what Jesus did for us. Now, I want to conclude by returning to the husband-wife relationship. Because my guess is some of you have lost that old feeling. And you would say, well, I no longer love that person. My love has died. Would you like for it to be restored? Then I'm going to show you how. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. Jesus is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he lists there all the good things that they have done. He said, you're doing a lot of good things. But then if you look at verse number 4, Revelation 2, he said, but I have this against you that you have left your first love. In other words, he is saying you're doing a lot of good things, but you don't love me. Now, folks, there's some of you like that in your, in your marriage. You're fulfilling your obligations. You're doing a lot of things that you're supposed to be doing. But if you were to be truthful about it, you would say, but I just don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore. I'm doing what is expected, but I don't love him. or I don't love her. So look at verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Three things to restore a love that has been lost. He said, first of all, remember. We spend way too much of our time remembering the bad things about the person to whom we're married. Remember the good things. When you think of your spouse, think of the good things. Remember And then he said, repent. Repent. Now, that means that I stop doing the things that I do to aggravate the relationship. I remember the good things about my spouse, and I repent. I stop doing the things I am doing that discredits the relationship. Thirdly, he says, and do the first things. In other words, go back and do those things you did at the beginning when you began to love each other. Do you do that? Do you, do you, you, do you remember what you did when you first found her and said, Man, I, that's the one I want. What did you do? Well, do it again. Do you remember what you did when you, you thought, when you saw him, That's the one I want. What did you do? Do it again. If you want to restore a lost love, three things. Remember the good things about him or her. Repent of the things I'm doing that aggravates. And go back and do it again. And your love will come back. There were two businessmen got off the airplane. They had gotten to talking on the plane They went down to the baggage together, and they're standing down there waiting for their bags to arrive. 
When they were there, one of them was married, one of them was not, and the wife and the two children of the one who was married came running up, and they hugged the man and kissed him and welcomed him home. The other fellow who was there was not married. He said, uh, were you gone a long time? He said, I was gone for two days. He watched that, and then he said, you know, I hope someday to have a family like that. And the man who was married said, don't hope, decide. Folks, that's what I'm asking of you today. Why don't you decide, I am going to have a godly marriage. I'm going to have a godly marriage. As far as my part is concerned, I'm going to have a godly marriage. I'm going to build my marriage on the Word of God. And where I need to remember the good things and repent of the bad things and do the first things all over again, I'm going to do it. Because love is an action. It is what you do. And you do what you decide to do. Today I'm going to ask you to do that. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for just a moment. I'm going to pray and then we're going to stand. There are some of you here who might never have come to know Jesus. We invite you to come today and talk to a staff member. There are some who are looking for a church home. My doors are open to you. You come to a staff member. But I'm going to ask uh, some of you husbands and wives to just reach out and grab each other's hand. And if you want to come and just kneel up here and commit yourself again, your marriage again to the Lord and to each other, I'm deciding I'm going to have a godly marriage. I want you to do that. Stand with me, please, as we stand together, then I'll pray. Our Father, I I pray that you will move in our lives, move in our homes, move in our marriages. Lord, help us to to commit ourselves that we want to have godly homes, a godly relationship. Lord, I pray today for those who have never trusted Christ that they would. And, uh, and Lord, that you would just move upon lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as the choir sings... I'll ask you to come, to trust Jesus, to join the church, or just to come as husband and wife. You come.